said I was joking, didn't you? Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, did you catch that? Firestarter, it's a really incredible midweek event. We have a meal. There's a video teaching. We uh, break out into groups and have a great discussion around fire pits. So it's very low-key, a great opportunity to invite friends. Uh, did you catch the VBS? All right, so if you have kids, then get your kids excited about VBS and have them invite their friends. Obviously, you're going to need to be involved in that as well. Uh, but this is a great opportunity to just introduce uh, families to our church. And so uh, we would love to have you do that. There's an opportunity for everybody to serve out there. Did you catch that? Yeah. All right. We've been struggling on announcements lately, so we're just making sure everybody's getting them. So, All right, well, uh, Brian did a great job introducing our series last week. Uh, he gave us Abraham, which is where you know, sort of the, the big characters of the Old Testament begin, and we're going to be working through uh, the rest of them through the rest of the summer. Uh, this morning, we're moving on to the, to the next stage, but before I want, or before I get into that, I want to just share a story with you that I read recently, and it just sort of blew my mind about how crazy people are, right? So uh, there is this, uh, there was this couple on the East Coast. Uh, Ike and Rebecca Ivrit, and uh, they they had twin sons, uh, Red and Jake, and these these two twins, as they were growing up, uh, they struggled as brothers do. There was a lot of stuff going on between them. Uh, to the, to the degree that, uh, you know, th they were doing stuff to try to get the other one. At one point, uh, this is where the story kind of gets crazy, uh, Jake, uh, he works out a scenario where he gets his brother uh, Red to sign a document, get it notarized, where he turned over all of his rights to any inheritance that he was going to get from his parents to his brother. Okay, so he did this in exchange so that his other, so his brother could use his car to take his girlfriend on a road trip to California. Sounds familiar? Yeah, okay. So this is how kind of like vindictive they, they were toward each other. Um, now, what you... The, the, another part of the story that kind of got my attention was that Ike and Rebecca, they, they played favorites. Um, Ike liked Red because he was a football player, kind of a tough guy. And Rebecca preferred, like, sort of was had as her open favorite, Jake, who was a tennis player. And uh, <laughs> you can make your own you know, judgments about what I just said, but uh, anyways, uh, Ike, the dad, decides, I mean, this is a crazy story, because people are really, people are messed up, I don't know if you know this or not, but this is a crazy story, so Ike decides that, you know, he hears about this whole inheritance thing, and so uh, he decides that he is going to start stockpiling money in a large safe in his basement. And he's very wealthy. Uh, I don't know if you've um, 
heard of like DeWalt or uh, Milwaukee or Rigid Tools, and they have these um, they have these toolboxes, and they're all made actually by the same company, uh, Evrit Manufacturing, and so there, this is a large pool of money that this guy is putting together, and he's just putting it in his basement. And his plan is that in order to avoid the whole inheritance thing, just before he dies, he is going to give his son, uh, Red, the one that he prefers, he's going to give his son the secret code to this safe, right? So, you know, I I think that, like, maybe avoids uh, probate and, you know... (laughs) Just kind of the secret gift. It's a, it's a massive, massive sum of money. I mean, this guy's like a billionaire, right? So this is, this is a lot of money. So Jake decides, because he's, he's seeing this happen, right? And he's getting it. He's putting things together. He's a, he's a bright guy. Jake decides that he is going to manipulate the situation. His father... Ike is nearly blind at the end of death. He cannot hear very well. And it just so turns out that Jake is Red's twin. Hmm. So he has an opportunity. And so he, his voice is a little bit different. So he hires some digital, uh, you know, gurus to get... Some, to do some voice manipulation and give him certain phrases to say. So when he goes in to see his dad on his deathbed, have you guys figured out who I'm talking about yet? <laughs> some people still know. I can keep going. He goes in on his deathbed and he uses this uh, you know, voice manipulation thing to convince his dad that he's actually red. And so he gets the secret code. And he gets the legal inheritance and also the illegal inheritance. Well, it turns out Esau, ooh, it was a slip. (laughs) It turns out Esau was not happy at all. In fact, he wanted to kill Jacob. But Rebekah gets wind. And tells Jacob to run as far away as you can. In my contemporary story, it was going to be Australia and the Pygmy tribe, and because that's I think they still have polygamy there. I was going to try to connect a lot of things there, but <laughs> in the biblical story, in the biblical story, Jacob is sent to Uncle Laban, who is a safe distance away and can provide some refuge. And Rebecca holds this secret, so she is the only one who knows about it for a little while. At least they keep it from Esau. And so he is there uh, for some time. And, uh, well, here's kind of a funny story. When he arrives, when he gets into the area, he comes up to a well, and he meets a pretty, apparently, according to the Bible, a pretty hot-looking young lady. I mean, she, she gets him motivated because uh, even though he's a tennis player, 
he is able to remove this large uh, stone that covers a well that normally it takes multiple shepherds to move, but he is motivated. And so he moves that by himself and he waters all of her sheep and it turns out she is his cousin. Yeah, it gets more weird than that. <laughs> so what I've been trying to convince you of so far is that people, people are really kind of messed up and have the capacity to be a lot more messed up than you think they might. Um, especially if you live in, like if you just live in church world, where there's a few people that are kind of getting it right, and then there's a, there are quite a few people who are acting like they're getting it right, and then, you know, there's, a few, there's only a few people that are showing that they're actually struggling. Um, so if you live in kind of inside of that bubble, maybe you forget sometimes that there's a lot going on in the human heart that is, whew, it's rough in there. There's some dark places in there. Um, so that's part of the incredible story here. The story is about God, by the way. Not about Isaac and Rebecca or Jacob and Esau. They're players in the story, but the story really is about God. In Genesis chapter 28, and starting in verse 10, uh, we're going to get into the story where Jacob is fleeing from his brother Esau, and he uh, he comes to a place where you know he's going to he's going to rest. So uh, we'll pick the story up there, verse ten. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran, which of course you know where that is. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stop there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. You've heard the song, of course, Stairway to Heaven. It's totally based on this passage. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. Does that sound familiar? Very similar language to his covenant with Abraham and Isaac. In fact, the same. What's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. How would you like to hear that? Um, One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Uh, I'm thinking that would be like a faith ego boost, don't you think? Oh, God is going to be with me, and he is going to protect me personally. Wow. Pretty awesome. Um. Just a quick note, Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob, they know very, very little about God. 
Remember, this is pre-New Testament. They don't know that part of the story. This is, this is pre-Moses and pre-law. They don't know that part of the story. They're just out there winging it. Right? I mean, they have very little to go on. They don't even know that God is the I am, right? That's how he identifies himself to Moses. Like they're not, they're in a world where there are like, you know, different regional gods, and that's kind of their understanding. And then the God that, that we know is starting to reveal himself slowly to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For us, this is a disturbing passage, actually, because God is making a covenant with Jacob, like a, a serious covenant. I, I mean, a big covenant. Like, we've heard this before, but just wrap your mind around this guy, this random guy who is being told by God, I'm going to make you... Like, your ancestry is going to be worldwide. And I, and I'm, I mean, you know, the, the whole earth is going to be blessed, benefited, because you're alive and your descendants are alive. That's big. And I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to watch over all of your descendants. Like, I am choosing you. That's, that is a big covenant. It is a big covenant with an absolute con artist. That's the disturbing part, right? Jacob has done zero, zero to reveal that he has any spine at all. He has not done one thing in his life that we're aware of that reveals that he is like a man of character, right? Enoch earlier in the story of Genesis, we get, right? I mean, he was a righteous man. He, he, he was getting it right. He spent time deeply meditating and figuring out what God would want of him, and then he did that. Powerful person. So, so powerful, God just said, you know what? You just come right on up. I mean, crazy anomaly. Like, if God covenants with somebody like Enoch, well, that makes sense to our brains, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, why wouldn't you? But he's making a covenant with Jacob, right, who's totally fulfilling his, like, the, the, uh, the, the sort of cross-meaning of his name, heel grabber, that's what it means literally, but that's the way they would identify like somebody who is a, a con artist. Well, that guy's a heel grabber, right? He's going to trip you up. Everywhere you go, he's going to trip you up. He's going to be behind you. He's going to grab your heel, and you're going to trip and fall. Jacob is totally living up to his name, and God is covenanting with him. Do you think that's good news? I do. Have you ever been a heel grabber? Hmm. I have. Yeah, that's how I made it into ministry. (laughs) 
right? I mean, we, we all know if we look in the depths of our heart, right, we know there are things there that, that need Jesus. They need Jesus. They desperately need Jesus. So my mind is blown, but in a very good way that God is covenanting with Jacob, right? Because the covenant's not about Jacob. God doesn't come to Jacob and say, listen, Jacob, I just need you to get these 10 things right. The list is coming later, but I'll give you a, a sneak preview. I just need you to get these 10 things right, and if you get them right, then I will watch over you. Is there anything that we read that Jacob needed to do? Anything at all? Is there any condition? No conditions. God is saying, I'm going to do this with you, for you. I'm all about you. I'm in with you. Done. Does that sound like freedom in Christ? That's what it sounds like to me. Chapter 29, and starting in verse 31. We're not covering the whole story, if you were wondering. Um, we'll pick back up. Jacob has moved the well stone. He's, uh, he's gone to the house of Laban, and uh, he has expressed to Laban that he really likes Rachel, his cousin, weird. Uh, but that's how it was in those days. And Laban has worked out a, an agreement. Work seven years. We know the story, right? Work seven years, and then you can have my daughter. Um, I love when the story is about God. Um, because God usually, God usually puts us through our paces, Right, he, he knows what's inside of our heart. He knows that, in this case, Jacob is a con artist. So he knows exactly how to dig into Jacob's heart and, and dig that con artistry out. He knows exactly what to do. So Jacob sends, or God sends Jacob to master con artistry school. <laughs> right? He sends him to Laban. Jacob has worked his seven years. He is ready for his wedding. I mean, he has been thinking of nothing but the honeymoon night for seven years. This is a big deal. And, you know, he's, he's finally decided to do some honest work in his life. This is the first righteous thing he's done, right? I mean, I think this covenant that God made with him, like, motivated him, like, oh, wow, this is big. I better try to do something to kind of, you know, honor this thing. So he's worked for seven years, and this is a big night. He has put a lot on the table for this moment. He has worked hard to get to this place. And Laban, <laughs> master con artist. Let's have a big party. I mean, let's celebrate this thing. And here, have another drink. And here, have another drink. And here, have another drink. And then he sends his oldest daughter, Leah, because he knows that nobody's going to want to marry her, or he thinks that. Maybe in that culture, he was right. 
because apparently there was an issue with Leah's eyes. Hmm. Back in the day, they wore veils and, you know, non-flattering attire. So you had very little to sort of judge things on. Getting the idea? So eyes were very important. And the, the NLT says that there was no sparkle in her eye. Hmm. Her eyes were dull. We don't really know for sure. Maybe she had like a lazy eye or both eyes were lazy. I don't know. Can you have two lazy eyes? I'm not sure. But something was going wrong with her eyes, right? Why are you laughing so much? This is where we see the heart of God revealed. I love this story, right? Because God, God reaches in where he knows people are dark and he just roots it out. He knows exactly how to do that. Uh, Leah is sent in and uh, becomes pregnant and Jacob wakes up in the morning and realizes what's gone on. And, I mean, crazy culture. It's not, no, we're going to make this right. It's, you know, the new agreement becomes, because Jacob has, has taken her as his wife, so he's committed now. He, you know, he had his chance, but it was dark and he was drunk. And he took her as his wife. So now he is obligated to her contractually to take care of her and to be her husband in an ongoing manner. So Laban says, look, I'll be generous. Another seven years and you can have Rachel. In fact, I'll give her to you now so you can enjoy marriage with her but you still have to work another seven years. God is just digging in Jacob's heart. He's, yeah, you want to be a con artist? I'll show you what that feels like. Now just dig in there. I'm going to show you what that feels like. This is what other people are experiencing when you're doing your crap, right? And I think somewhere in that process, Jacob, after seven more years of shepherding, being out under the stars, thinking about his life and the type of person he wants to be. I think somewhere in there, he starts to form some godly character. Somewhere in there, he starts to realize that God is doing this. God is putting him in this place. God is at work in his life. Uh, we haven't even read this part. Uh, chapter 29, verse 31. This is where I said I was going to start reading. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have children, but Rachel could not conceive. <laughs> You're supposed to laugh like that when you read certain verses in the Bible. Okay? So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. Or she said, look, the Lord has noticed my misery, and now my husband will love me. 
So Reuben is like, is, if you look in your footnote, it's like, look, a son. Would you like that name? Look, a son. Um, then she became pregnant. Oh, I skipped one. She soon became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She named him Simeon, for she said, the Lord heard that I was unloved and gave me another son. Then she became pregnant a third time and gave birth to another son, her best child. She named him Levi. <laughs> for she said, surely this time a husband will feel affection for me since I have given him three sons. And I'm, I'm a third son. And I've wondered, you, you probably wonder why you feel affection for me. And now you know it's all in the name. Uh, once again, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son. She named him Judah, for she said, now I will praise the Lord. Finally, she's going to worship. God is doing work in her heart. God is working on everybody all the time, right? All these stories. God is just, he's digging in. He's working, right? Now I will praise the Lord. And then she stopped having children. <laughs> Let that be a lesson to you if you ever worship. That's a joke. It's just a joke. Relax. It'll be okay. Uh, when Rachel saw that she wasn't having any children uh, for Jacob, she became jealous of her sister. She pleaded with Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Whoa. Rachel needs some work, doesn't she? Right? Doesn't matter how sparkly her eyes are. She needs work, Right? Then Jacob became furious with Rachel. Am I God, he asked. He's the one who has kept you from having children. That's his way of saying, not my problem, yours. Then Rachel told him, take my maid, Bilhah, and sleep with her. Whoa. She will bear children for me, and through her I can have a family too. So weird, right? So Rachel gave her servant Bilhah to Jacob as a wife, and he slept with her. Bilhah became pregnant and presented him with a son. Rachel named him Dan, for she said, God has vindicated me. <laughs> I'm not seeing it, but okay. He has heard my request and given me a son. Strange culture, right? Then Bilhah became pregnant again and gave Jacob a second son. Rachel named him Naphtali, for she said, I have struggled hard with my sister, and I'm winning how is God's work going in her heart so far? Not very well. She's not responding well. God is working. She is not responding. All right, she thinks she's winning, or she thinks that the goal is to win. Meanwhile, Leah realized that she wasn't getting pregnant anymore. I wonder how long that took her to realize that. Uh, so she took her servant Zilpah, and gave her to Jacob as a wife, right? This, I feel like there's a reality TV show to be had here. I really do. Uh, then Zilpah, uh, let's see, Zilpah has Gad. Uh, she has Asher. One day during the wheat harvest, Reuben found, here, here we go. Okay, verse 14. This is fun. One day during wheat harvest, Reuben found some mandrakes growing in the field and brought them to his mother Leah, uh, Rachel begged Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But Leah angrily replied, wasn't it enough that you stole my husband? <laughs> Let's see. Did Rachel steal 
Jacob. So maybe Leah still needs some heart work. Now you will steal my son's mandrakes too? Rachel answered, I will let Jacob sleep with you tonight if you give me some of the mandrakes. So Leah is under the impression that at one point Jacob actually loved her. But Rachel comes in and steals her husband. So that evening, as Jacob was coming home from the fields, Leah went out to meet him. You must come and sleep with me tonight, she said. I have paid for you with some mandrakes that my son found. (laughs) So that night, he slept with Leah. And God answered Leah's prayer. Okay. She became pregnant again and gave birth to her fifth son. For Jacob, she named him Issachar. For she said, God rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband as a wife. This is messed up. These are people that God is covenanting with. Remember that. Uh, it's interesting to, to, for an understanding of this to know that uh, a mandrake, I think, do we have an image? Can we put the mandrake image up here? Uh, a mandrake is like this green leafy plant, and that's the root system. And the idea back in the day was that this was like ancient fertility drug. Some of the images that uh, developed (laughs) were uh, sort of like, you know, uh, fourth century BC porn. And uh, the idea was this was a this was a fertility drug. And so now you can see why Rachel is wanting the mandrakes. Right? They don't just grow everywhere. It's a very rare thing. And so Reuben finds them. And who would he take them to naturally? His mom. Right? Uh, highly coveted. They were mentioned one other time uh, in Scripture where Solomon is talking about his love affair and uh, in Song of Solomon's and, and the, the Shulamite uh, woman, she says that the fragrance of the mandrakes is present, right? And so it's this idea, it's, this is an erotic scene. So if you're looking to add a little spice to your marriages, I'm telling you, mandrakes, mandrakes. <laughs> Um, okay, so you've got, you've got chaos in the house. If, you know, if, if there was a reality TV series, I think a good name would be Stolen Mandrakes. <laughs> Don't you think that would bring people in? I think it would. It's, it's a, it would be a hot seller. Um, let's go to chapter 32, verses, starting verse 9. Um, Jacob has decided to leave Laban. And he is on his way back. Um, The problem with going back is red. That's Esau's nickname, by the way, because he he liked to hunt. And he had, like, you know, blood on him all the time. (laughs) Red. Um, The problem is Esau. Jacob is going to go back and he's going to find out that Esau has, has grown in wealth and stature. He's got a lot going on. Um, in fact, he has a mounted cavalry of 400 men. 
That's, that's a little bit impressive. Jacob has been doing well under Laban. He's been getting some sheep and some goats and some camels and so on. He's got a little bit put together himself, but Esau's got the military. And I don't know if you remember, but earlier in the story, Esau wants to kill Jacob, and Jacob is under the understanding that Esau continues to want to kill him. Jacob comes to this moment where uh, he, he prays. Verse 9, chapter 32, verse 9, Jacob's journeying back. He knows he's going to face the music. So he prays, O God of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, you told me, return to your own land and to your relatives, and you promised me I will treat you kindly. Uh, so Jacob is starting off by saying, I'm trying to follow your promise here, and I'm trying to follow your direction. Let, re- let me remind you, God, I'm doing this very dangerous thing because you asked me to do this very dangerous thing. I'm putting my life on the line for you. I'm not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown to me, your servant. When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I owned nothing except a walking stick. Now my household fills two large camps. What do we see here? There's a little bit of humility. There's a little bit of gratitude. Do we think that Jacob has grown? Do we think there's stuff going on? He's recognizing what God is doing? Oh, Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I'm afraid that he is coming to attack me along with my wives and children. But you promised me I will surely treat you kindly and I will multiply your descendants until they become as numerous as, sand, as the sands along the seashore, too many to count. Jacob is figuring it out, but it's a tough process. Jacob is not walking boldly and confidently up to Esau with the assurance that he will win. Uh, Let's skip to verse 24, chapter 32, and starting in verse 34. We know Jacob has sent his camp or sent his party ahead. And he is alone. So chapter 32, verse verse 24. This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name, the man said. He replied, Jacob, heel grabber, deceiver. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, which means overcomer. Because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. 
Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. Uh, this is a very, very interesting uh, passage. Uh, I mean, you know, think about the, the scene, right? Jacob, he's, he's making a campfire or whatever he's doing. And a man shows up. There are no words exchanged, it appears. This man shows up, and a wrestling match begins. Now, this is actually, this kind of makes sense when you have two men in a situation, right? Men are, usually don't like to talk, you know? And they're concerned about who can put the other man on the mat, right? So this kind of makes sense. But just imagine, you know, I mean, Jacob's sitting there doing his thing, and this guy walks up, and right away they know they're going to wrestle. Okay. Let's get it on. Let's go. This is no, this is no average wrestling match. This is like an all-night wrestling match. <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever been in a wrestling match. I've been in a few. And they get exhausting pretty quick. You need to find rest stations within your wrestling match so you can recover your breath. This is a serious, serious wrestling match. So I wonder what Jacob was wrestling with. You know, he's circling around. Maybe they're locking up, right? You got head to head, engaging the core. What is, what is Jacob really wrestling with, right? I mean, he's a runner. Right? We know that. He's a, he's a deceiver. He's, he's wrestling with what is going on inside, right? He's, he's used his diplomacy, his smarts. He's, he's sent gifts ahead to Esau. He's pleading for mercy. But now it comes down to this time where he has got to wrestle for it. And we think this is actually Jesus, this other dude, right, the, the angel of the Lord. We think this is like pre-incarnate Jesus. I mean, Moses is convinced that he has seen God face-to-face at the end of this wrestling match and somehow survived. So... That's weird to hear, I know, but just remember, we're talking about God, so we'll just put that in the God category. Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're learning about God. They're trying to figure this out. Who, who is this God? And God is slowly revealing himself. And this is a God who forces us to wrestle. So I wonder what it is that God might want you to be wrestling with. What is he forcing you to wrestle with? Here's my encouragement to you. Wrestle hard. Wrestle with all your might. Wrestle all night long. Wrestle with it. Fight with it. 
Because Jesus knows that you can win that battle. Jesus knows your real name is overcomer. Jesus has put it within you to win the battle. Let's close together in prayer. Father, uh, our minds are blown by the fact that you would covenant with us, that you demonstrated your love by dying for us while we were still sinners, covenanting with us while we were still sinners. Father, help us to to get that, to understand the width, the breadth, the depth of your love for us. Help us, Father, we pray. Help us to wrestle with the things inside of us, to defeat them, to know that we can win. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, If you would please stand. From Revelation 1, 5 and 6. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. See you next week, if not before.